curtains turned into singular channels, and in their isolation, morbid self-repression and struggle for life with relentless nature, there came to them dark furtive traits from the prehistoric depths of their cold northern heritage. By necessity, practical, and by philosophy, stern. These folks were not beautiful in their sins. Erring as all mortals must, they were forced by their rigid code to seek concealment above all else, so that they came to use less and less taste in what they concealed. Only the silent, sleepy, staring houses in the backwoods can tell all that has lain hidden since the early days. And they are not communicative, being loath to shake off the drowsiness which helps them forget. Sometimes one feels that it would be merciful to tear down these houses, for they must often dream. It was to a time-battered edifice of this description that I was driven one afternoon in November 1896 by a rain of such chilling copiousness that any shelter was preferable to exposure. I had been traveling for some time amongst the people of the Miskatonic Valley in quest of certain genealogical data, and from the remote, devious, and problematic nature of my course, had deemed it convenient to employ a bicycle despite the lateness of the season. Now I found myself upon an apparently abandoned road which I had chosen as the shortest cut to Arkham overtaken by the storm at a point far from any town and confronted with no refuge save the antique and repellent wooden building which blinked with bleared windows from between two huge leafless elms near the foot of a rocky hill. Distant though it is from the remnant of a road, this house nonetheless impressed me unfavorably the very moment I spied it. Wholesome structures do not stare at travelers so slyly. And in my genealogical researches, I had encountered legends of a century before which biased me against places of this kind. Yet the force of the elements was such as to overcome my scruples, and I did not hesitate to wheel my machine up the weedy rise to the closed door, which seemed at once so suggestive and secretive. I had somehow taken it for granted that the house was abandoned, yet as I approached it, I was not so sure. For though the walks were indeed overgrown with weeds, they seemed to retain their nature a little too well to argue complete desertion. Therefore, instead of trying the door, I knocked. Feeling as I did so, a trepidation I could scarcely explain. As I waited on the rough mossy rock which served as a doorstep, I glanced at the neighboring window and the panes of the transom above me and noticed that although old, rattling, and almost opaque with dirt, they were not broken. The building then must still be inhabited despite its isolation and general neglect. However, my rapping evoked no response. So after repeating the summons, I tried the rusty latch and found the door unfastened. 
Inside was a little vestibule with walls from which the plaster was falling. And through the doorway came a faint, but peculiarly hateful odor. I entered, carrying my bicycle, and closed the door behind me. Ahead rose a narrow staircase, flanked by a small door, probably leading to the cellar, while to the left and right were closed doors leading to rooms on the ground floor. Leaning my cycle against the wall, I opened the door at the left and crossed into a small, low-sealed chamber, but dimly lighted by its two dusty windows and furnished in the barest and most primitive possible way. It appeared to be a kind of sitting room.